Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. With me today is Frank Coombs. So welcome, Frank. Hello. Hello. I, I, I've never pictured myself as a bluebell, so this is uh, an interesting interview. Yeah, and it's bluebells forever, and it's such an interesting thing talking to people, like how even over the decades, what a bluebell, if it was only covered, was bluebell everybody, because I don't want to have a, a podcast called Tall Nudes Forever or Ponies uh, Forever, so we just... Bluebell was kind of, I think, for all the dancers, but I like the umbrella of Miss of Bluebell is everybody who's part of those shows. Don Ard, Miss Bluebell, even after they'd passed on the legacy. So oh, yeah. I've loved getting the perspective of the dressers, backstage, costume design, because everything mattered in those shows and everyone was so talented and came together. And also that we had Hello Hollywood Hello in common. That to me, that just stands out also. That's a, a group of people that a lot of people refer to as a time of feeling like family. Because we'll talk about that too. Like how Reno was unique of how it kind of forces people to come together as a cast when there's yep. no other option. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There's no other option. You may do with what you've got. Yeah. And you end up, oh, my family's kind of weird here and wonderful. Yep. <laughs> so I would love to hear, because I know you were backstage, but you have a whole other dance um career story and also the that would even mention joe emery who's one of my favorite choreographers so i'm like oh these threads all come together so fast if you just mentioned dance how quickly you find out the yeah. overlap of how we all kind of braided together our careers and our um, well, it's, uh, training it's been, an, it's been an interesting 50 years in the business that uh, uh originally i started off as a singer and uh i was uh Actually, I was digging through some files the other day, and my mother kept clippings from all the way back. My mother's long gone now. And uh, one from 1961 when I was singing with the Delaware Valley Philharmonic as a boy soprano. Really? And that was 1961. And from there, I just sort of stayed in the business off and on. And uh, it's it's always been a, a difficult choice for for somebody like me because I like the technical end and I like the performing end. So I've always stayed busy for the simple reason that somebody always needs something. If you need a singer, yeah. I'll sing. If you need a dancer, well, uh, okay. So I, I took classes from Joe Emery in uh, Tacoma, Washington. Oh, after I got out of high school because I was not gonna run around in pantyhose while I was in high school. Um, <laughs> but uh, she took, uh, she trained me well enough to end up with the Joffrey program. And then uh, from there, uh, I made the <clears throat> first mistake of getting married and uh, moved to California and uh, was working selling paint. But in the afternoons, I'd drive all the way to San Bernardino and did uh, Irene with Jane Powell and Patsy Kelly as a, a singer actor. And then after that, I ended up on Broadway in 1972 uh, in a show called Mother Earth. We ran for 11 performances, which was pretty good for that year. Uh, and then I went back to California and then uh, production singer in, in Miami, company manager in San Francisco. So 
I was dancing at uh, North Shore, the Calneva Lodge for Barry Ashton. And when that show closed, my uh, company manager from Puerto Rico was Bob Nicewander, who was the original stage manager for Hello Hollywood. So he called and said, you want a job? And so, yeah, okay, they needed a stagehand. So I went down and played stagehand for a while. And uh, I want to go back. This is, there's so much packed in there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> your, res- your resume is probably like uh, a book. Just because it's such a great eclectic. Because a lot of us only know just dance. Yeah. So when you, where, did, where did you grow up? I was a military kid. So okay. grew up on the East Coast. Uh, pick a state. I probably lived there. Uh, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maine is where my family's from. And uh, we spent three years in Japan. And uh, yeah, so. Was dance and singing, uh, were you doing this as a child? Or no, no you singing, were good at yeah. it? Singing. All singing, but not dancing. Yeah. So how, how did you get to Joe Emery or what, what made you? <laughs> it's like, wow. So, it's like already like, it seems like, okay, I'll just go do this now. So being a military kid, you're so used to change. and uh, Yeah. Move. Well, uh, we were stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington, uh, McCord Air Force Base, actually. And uh, there was a uh, entertainment complex there. This is during the Vietnam War. And uh, it was the Centurion Playhouse. And I grew up in Puyallup, which is 20 minutes from there. Yeah. Drive by that all the time. I'm okay. This is so yeah. weird. Okay. Keep so, going. <laughs> uh, uh, I went as a singer uh, to the Centurion Playhouse and they were doing West Side Story. Well, Joe Emery's dancers were doing the dancing and choreography. So they couldn't sing, but I could, but I couldn't dance. So I ended up singing parts and the dancers would do the dancing parts. And uh, it was, I'd broken my knee playing football uh, when I was in Georgia. So I wasn't exactly agile, but uh, anyhow, we did the show and I got along very well with the group as a, anyway, from there uh, we moved to Alabama, which didn't last very long, thank God. And then we moved to New York state. And when I graduated from high school, uh, which I'd done the, the stage thing in the high school as well, uh, moved back to, to to Tacoma, Washington, because my mother liked it. She didn't drive, so she didn't mind the rain. So my dad said, all right, so we moved back to Tacoma. And so I'm an 18-year-old guy, just out of high school, with no friends, couldn't afford to go to college. Where do you go to meet girls? <sighs> So Smart I remember men know. The, the dance studio was right at the end of uh, oh, about three miles away. So I walked through the front door and Jolene looked up, Joe Emery, and uh, she looks as you're Frank from West Side Story, aren't you? And I said, oh. yeah, Joe, how are you? She says, I'm fine. When are you coming to class? Oh. I'm 220 pounds and I limp because of a broken knee and uh about three and a half months later, I was down to 165 pounds and uh, we went to San Diego and uh, did my first dance concert down there. So uh, the, I didn't have to learn the musicality because I've been singing forever and I was born with perfect turnout and all that kind of stuff. So it didn't take long to get 
And <clears throat> yeah, so that's how I hooked. Uh, I that. love that because I know her for jazz because she choreographed for Greg Thompson. I loved, loved, loved her style. I forgot that she was very good at ballet because there was Jan Collin that people would kind of go for ballet in that area. You betcha. And Joe, but Joe was ballet too. So she got Joe you got into all that the kind of. <laughs> yeah and the ones that are hungry for it too. Uh, yeah the uh if your legs were too short or if you were too stocky or you didn't have a ballerina body uh, all those people went down to jan Collin, and it was very competitive yeah between our company and jan's mm. at the other end of the street so uh yeah we had some wonderful talents because they were driven from the inside yeah uh, yeah and and that's was, who Greg Thompson hired. I mean, because Joe is his choreographer. She would also provide most of his dancers at first because he had the music hall in Seattle. So Janet Kinsman, I don't know if you know, worked with her, yeah. but there's so many that that Joe, yeah, because I think she did Jan Collins. So for her, it was kind of, a, you weren't supposed to cross over. It's you kind of West Side Story. Over, side story. But then that's like when Joe, uh, Joe is providing these amazing dancers for Greg. She starts to be like, oh, and they're ballet trained too. Cause I think I only saw her jazz and found out she's yeah. a... so how yeah. was that for you? Like is get you're starting at the beginning at 18 as a in ballet class. And oh, it was fortunate. As a male, you can get away with it. Mm. As, a, as a female, my God, you got to start at age five. Yeah. And if you make it through puberty and you make it through your first boyfriend without giving up the arts and chasing after your hormones, then there's oh. a good chance you're going to make it. But uh, with a guy, there's so few, or at least at that time, uh, that uh, would stick with it. And it was, it was a wonderful experience for me because it was taking the music that was inside, moving it outside. So it was, uh, to this day, I'm still a technician. Uh, yeah. uh, technically, I, I look at it and I perform it. I'm not a dancer from the heart. Uh, Leslie Bandy, she dances from the heart all the way to her toenails. Mm. Whereas uh, I'll look at it and say, okay, I've got to have more turnout here. I've got to have more arch here. I've got to have more. Uh, your porta bra is really sloppy. Uh, she doesn't worry about that because it just comes from the inside out. And uh, I really, I admire the... Uh, the real dancer as opposed to the technical dancer like myself. Um, you, you give me the choreography, I will do it as directed, but I don't have the artistic sense to push it past the envelope. When I'm singing, I can change the tone, I can change the interpretation, I can change uh, how I feel about it. But as a dancer, I need to be told, I want your, I want to, quasi and I want an FSA and I want a double pirouette because I don't do it naturally. I have yeah. great. But Joe Emery was <clears throat> really, really good at uh, taking my handicaps and turning them into assets. So yeah. Did were you in her company? Did you get oh, to yeah. do performances with her? <clears throat> oh yeah, many. I think she, I feel like she had a lot of opportunities. I think that I would see them at all the things. Oh yeah. She kept us all working um, and we played Elks clubs and we played uh, high schools and we played, uh, we did one Elks club where they heard we were coming in. So they very, very nicely dance waxed at the stage. I don't know if you're a ballroom dancer or anything, but dance wax is slick as grease. 
Yeah. Get up on stage and you're doing a jazz number and you want to do a, if you want to slide across the stage on your knees or your backside, it's perfect. <laughs> but if you really want to stand up on it and maybe do a rambat ma and not fall off. Your, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we had some educational moments. Yeah, it was good stuff. Wow. So how did you see this open up as an opportunity to, to go professional from Joe? Because no. I know we kind of backtrack how you end up in Reno, which is fascinating too, because you were kind of living your, your brain, your talent, your arts, all uh, the same overlapping. I've always been go with the flow. Uh, the, I missed the entertaining, obviously, when I moved to L.A., but uh, like if you need somebody to mop the floor, I'll mop the floor. If you need somebody to sing, I'm going to sing. If you need somebody to dance or act, I'll do that. If you need somebody to do lighting or you need somebody to set up the sound system or you need somebody to rig it. That's what I'm there for. Yeah. So I've never had a focus. I've just been entertainment. That's, that's one of the big objections I had to Broadway because in New York, First of all, it's very competitive and they tend to specialize. I am a New York equity actor. I, yeah, okay, I'm, a, I'm just an entertainer. What do you need? And uh, uh, so I didn't like the, the, the regimentation or the, uh, I won't say competition because competition is good, but it's, not, it's uh, to the, uh, when you go to be a doctor, you learn medicine and then you specialization and these yeah. people specialize from day one. They never learn. Uh -huh. They never learn what a stagehand does. They never learn what a ballerina does. They never learn, uh, at least in my estimation, I'm sure there's somebody out there that will object, but uh, yeah, I've just been, wow. I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky. So well, that makes way more sense. I think I have a new appreciation because I did the show your first is figure how to get on stage, how not, you know, get your costumes on and learn. And then you get to watch all the magic that's happening and the wings. And you normally saw it when something didn't work. Uh, Cause mm -hmm. I remember things not working. You guys pushing giant sets to get it moved around. Like, Oh my gosh, this really is a choreography backstage. So I, I gradually started paying more attention to what was happening behind the scenes and how are these costumes made? But a lot of performers, I don't pay any attention. They don't, they don't care. No, they're, they're living <laughs> in the moment. Yeah, and I think I think it is to learn the big picture. I think helps you appreciate the beauty of the whole thing instead of just this is me. Here's my part. I'm going to leave and go home and not really contribute or acknowledge. Yeah. So what was so being in New York with your 11 month run? 11 days. 11, 11 days. Shows. Oh, I gave you a lot more credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish we'd run. <laughs> 11 months would be. So did it just not get enough audience? Uh, that year, uh, I think. There was, I can't remember if it was 12 or 14 shows opened and closed within the first week. Uh, it was a very bad year for Broadway. And oh, wow. uh, uh, we were lucky to run that long. The, uh, and I think the only reason we did run that long was Roger Isles, the, uh, the guy that sold you uh, Nixon in the 60s. Uh, he was dating the star of the show, so he produced it. I mean, she needed to have Broadway credits before she could go to the West Coast to have a TV show. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, politics and all that kind of stuff enter in, in anything in the world, doesn't matter what it is. But uh, it was a definite uh, experience. 
I met some wonderful people uh, and it's certainly not something I regret, but uh, I couldn't have stayed there. First of all, I couldn't afford it. Yeah, New York is crazy. At that time, there was a wife and kid involved. So I uh, it was like, no, I think I better go back to where I, I can survive. Yeah. But you put on your resume. I was on Broadway. Nobody looks at how many days. Uh, yeah, that's true. They <laughs> said, what show was that? That uh, Yeah, it was a good show. It was written by, uh, you, you've heard of the Captain and Tennille. Well, yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, Tennille was... wrote all the music. And this was really? in 1970. 71 and uh it was uh it's all ecology so it was way ahead of its time it was singing about air pollution and singing about uh, all the things that are 40 years later are current it we should bring that show now uh, yeah, yeah. my go now you probably get some good funding for it now uh yeah oh we we rode our bicycles through new york city with the gas masks on and taking pictures and all that for the uh, publicity shots it was, uh, it was an experience. Wow. Did you yeah. have any desire to stay, like if you could have afforded or was it done it in time to do the next thing? Yeah, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't. Okay. Enjoy it. Yeah. It was just too, uh, I won't say it was, there was a lot of backbiting going on. And if you didn't have a decent agent, uh, and it, again, it's like anything else. You have to be the right place, the right time with the right look. I mean, I got the job. Uh, because I was taking a class from Joe Tremaine and, <gasps> Yay, in uh, Los Angeles, and they were auditioning for this show uh, in uh, uh, New York. So after class, I was just standing outside and I'm listening to these people sing, and and uh, finally the last one's leaving, and the guy looked up uh, Ray Golden, and he says, "So are you going to audition or what?" So I went in and I sat down, I flipped a chair upside down and used it as bongos. And I sang an old barroom ditty from the 60s that uh, I'd learned when I was a kid. And the next thing I knew, I was on my way to New York. So <laughs> had no intention whatsoever. Oh my gosh. But uh, it was, uh, it was very interesting. Very interesting. Wow. What a great, because some people like would kill to get to Broadway and then some get there and go, oh, it's not what I thought. But for you to get to just... Yeah. go experience it and then like you haven't invested your whole life in that like make it's got to be this or nothing no. you were just free to go to the next thing uh, yeah and that's really been uh beneficial in the uh long run because i'm i'm pretty well open to anything i won't tap uh i did take a tap audition barefoot one time <laughs> and uh Is that defiance or uh, no, it was uh, the the call was for a six foot two black tap dancer, but it was L.A. and they always gave open auditions. So I figure free class is free class. Uh, yeah. ask anybody who's been there. So uh, I went and I took and uh, they called me up afterwards. And the guy says, you're out of your mind. Uh, what are you doing? Uh, tapping barefoot. And he says, well, I said, barefoot boy with cheek. He says, oh, so now you want your own show. And uh, <laughs> So he sent me off to uh, Aunt Margaret, and uh, the uh, the big question there was, could I ride a motorcycle, which I could, because that's what I drove when I was up in Tacoma, Washington, freezing my ass off and in the rain. And uh, But I was given a choice between six weeks with Aunt Margaret in Las Vegas or a year in Puerto Rico uh, with Barry Ashton. So being a married man with a kid to look after, 
uh, I went to Puerto Rico, and uh, which uh, uh, that's created some great memories as well. So I've worked for Barry a few years after you, but just that life was so different. I lived, went from Reno to there. So tropical and just, well, being a female in Puerto Rico was, uh, there was, I had so many scary things happen. Uh, Love yeah. the Puerto Rican people, but every day was like, I hope I make it. But the, I don't know the, like the dance classes there were some of my, like, I say everywhere I was, was my favorite. But Puerto Rico, there was a few teachers and the energy was so good for class. And yeah, the Afro Cuban was excellent. But yeah. I spent all my free time in the water. I was, did diving. you? I dove for the Puerto Rico Sea Aquarium and catch live fish to put in the aquarium so that civilians who didn't dive could see what was out there in the ocean. And uh, I got, oh my yeah. gosh, I got scuba certified in Bermuda working for Greg Thompson. Didn't oh, yeah. even occur to me in Puerto Rico. Cause that's like some beautiful uh, marine life there. I'm trying to think of where did you dive? Yeah. I mean, this is maybe not um, interesting to everybody. Well, but it was know. a really nice, uh, well, you were at the El San Juan mm-hmm. and between the El San Juan and the Americana, there was a bay. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't have much in the way of coral, but it had great fish. And uh, there were a couple of octopus caves that you, octopus nests, where you'd go out and do your shelling because the octopus would clean the shell and leave it outside his door. Uh, and then you'd go down to the conquistador, which had the huge brain coral and things like that. So, but, Oh my gosh, I wish I had cared about that when I lived there. What a, what a waste of a beautiful island. Because I remember we swam there a lot. And yeah. you know, Boca, Boca de Congreo, Congreo, wait, how do you say that? It's the mouth of the kangaroo. It's like the deepest place in, of the ocean and, or something is, and I don't remember, that doesn't make any sense. It'd be Puerto Rico. There's something about that place now I have to look at, so I'm not lying. So salt, <laughs> so salty that you could just, we just sat in the water. It was so salty there. That you float, but, yeah. Yeah, but I remember like Puerto Rico was absolutely beautiful. Just deal with the cockroaches. Uh, yes, and the, <laughs> some of the social norms were not <clears throat> uh, pleasant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had several issues. I only got shot at twice while I was there because I was a blonde really? American. Yeah, there was a thing going on called the PLF, the Puerto Rican Puerto Rican Liberation Front, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, a messy time. Yeah, but wow, we got gun mugged at gunpoint. I mean, I just feel like there was things. The trade off was like, oh, I have good friends, and the show's fun, but it's a little. There's some things that are a little scary. Uh, yeah, there is a, a really interesting place uh, called Luisa. Um, it's uh, halfway to uh, the Conquistador. And uh, uh, Tex, who was our sound man, had the Berinquin Studios in Puerto Rico. And he would go to Luisa to get his musicians because it was an African village in Puerto Rico. They, they did speak Spanish if they had to, but they were still speaking uh, African dialect. And when you went into town, uh, you'd drive in, they'd see text coming and the drums would start. And it was fascinating. The drums would start. And then the next thing you know, the party started and they, he'd pick out people to play in his next recording. And uh, that was, that was a fascinating island. Fascinating. Yeah. And I think that the thing of getting to do these kind of shows is you get to experience life different than a tourist. I mean, you still uh, yeah. kind of feel like as a white female, we had to be super careful where we went. But we still got to experience culture in a way you don't go on vacation. Uh, yes. And, and you uh, get some risks that you also don't get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not like being on a tour ship. Getting yeah. on... <coughs> Excuse me again. Uh, finishing up this cold. Is... Yeah. 
Oh. <coughs> yeah, excuse me. Yeah, take your time. <coughs> Catching that first breath is the hard part. <coughs> and I'm supposed to go sing with the Las Vegas Men's Choir in about 15 minutes. What? Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. Okay, this we got so much in here. So were you dancing in these shows? Or singing? Uh, dance? Were you coming in as a dancer? I was dancing in Puerto Rico. I was production singer in Miami. I uh, was the company manager in San Francisco. Was dancing at the Calneva Lodge. Uh, <coughs> and I think the last time, the last time I was on stage as a dancer was when we did Gaiety Parisian in Reno, which was what, 1980, 81, something like that. So you're kind of flipping it. I love that. I love how you're diverse. Well, I, I sat with uh, three ladies that I'd known in my <coughs> multicolored career at the uh, Sparks Nugget. And I'm sitting with these three girls who just happened to be in town at the same time. And one of them knew me as a dancer, didn't know I could sing. One of them knew I was a singer, didn't know I did anything else. And one of them only knew me as a technician. So listening to uh, the conversation between the three girls while I'm sitting there was like, they knew three different people. Wow. But <laughs> Wow. Yeah, oh it was gosh. really fun because I didn't realize how separate those personalities were. But I tend yeah. to focus if I'm, a te if I'm a technician, though <clears throat> Don Arden did catch me a few times in the back uh, doing a pirouette when I should have been <laughs> hammering a nail. But, uh, <laughs> But I look at some people like they, okay, so if I can't dance anymore, then I'll go do this other thing because it almost feels like, well, since I can't do the thing I love, but for you to be able to be good at all of them and switch it up instead of one is the end of one career that you were kind of experiencing them all simultaneously or flipping it around. So it's probably really good for your brain and your soul and yeah, your interest. The, uh, there's only one time in, in 50 years where I felt lost. And uh, I was on the road as head carpenter for uh, Oba Oba. And we were in San Diego and the show closed unexpectedly. And I had nothing else lined up. So for five weeks, six weeks, I was running a flower delivery truck. Uh, and it was, uh, it was really disheartening before yeah. I could get back into the business. And it was, it was such a shock because I'd been working pretty steadily since I was 20 years old. So. so did you come into Hello Hollywood, Hello at the creation of it or after it had been going? Uh, oh, during creation. So yeah. you were there for the building and the... Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I would love to hear some of that because I know hearing it from the dancer's point of view and from Pete Benefee, from the costumes, like things, you know, trying to pull things together. And I heard like up to, you know, it was delayed. So can you share what that was like coming into this thing that is monstrous? It was amazing um i built scenery and hung shows and stuff before that but to walk into a theater that size and the, the scale of the scenery the the basic theatrical imperatives were exactly the same didn't matter if it was the size of a football field or the size of a post stamp you had to have certain things taken care of and uh, just to do the the mind warp to work in that scale uh, was uh, pretty fascinating. The, uh, the creation uh, 
they, they brought a good team up from, uh, from Las Vegas uh, and we built the stair units on site uh, and they were a nightmare. Uh, not so much the fabrication, but they were trying to computerize things at that time. And every time they tried to use a computer, the stair units would crash into each other. And when they did the neon lights, which were on the inside would break, and then we'd have to disassemble and redo. Uh, fortunately, we had uh, Frank Fierce. I don't know if you're familiar with his name. Uh, he's a genius when it comes to electronics and computers and all that. He kept the elevators running and then he fixed the neon. Uh, really uh, interesting man. Uh, but it's my biggest memory probably of the creation of that show. Well, I've got two. One is how much scenery we threw away out the back door because there were four designers, as I recall, for the show. Well, each designer figured the entire theater was his. Oh. So each one designed sets to fill up but well, we had an acre of storage off stage right we had an acre on stage and we had three quarters of an acre in the basement so they all created on that scale which meant <clears throat> well you can have this piece but that one's got to go because we got no room for it and, oh uh, gosh it's a heartbreaking so, for all their work oh all that work and all that money oh the, some of the stuff we threw out was uh the light refracting material was like $35 a square foot. And we threw out several hundred feet uh, just because well, the space unit that you are familiar with from working the show, what you're working with is only half of what was designed. The other half went out the back door. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, so that was amazing. And uh, wow. the other was, uh, I was, I was more than a little obnoxious at that time. And uh, I'm watching all four designers sitting with a scale model of the stage and paper cutouts all to scale of all the scenery. And they set it all up so that the stage was clear, which was what we needed for the finale. Uh, the circus wagons was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Well, it was really clever and absolutely could not possibly work under any circumstances. And I said, that can't possibly work. And they looked at it and said, our job was to make sure it could all get off stage. How you get it is your job. And uh, the airplane, which of course you probably remember is not exactly maneuverable. Right. Uh, it had that parked all the way upstage left in front of the offices. Uh, so it yeah. was, you couldn't possibly get it to center, rotate 90 degrees, drive down, uh, just dumb stuff like that. So that's when we started throwing scenery away because it just couldn't possibly fit. Did anybody take this and use it for somewhere else? Or would that be like, no, we can't let another show benefit from this? Uh, because everything was so huge. Nobody could even house could that. Use it. No, no oh. else could you use it. And uh, by the time you cut it up to get it out the back door, uh, it was pretty well useless. Yeah, damn shame. But uh, wow. again, part of the... Uh, we recently had the Adele show close before it opened down here in Las Vegas. And they ran into, they were trying to build a Las Vegas spectacular in three weeks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you take six months and you build it, you look at it and say, I don't like it, throw it away. We'll build something else. Well, when you've only got three weeks, you can't do that. 
and uh, it just didn't gel. And uh, Adele just decided to, rather than go on stage incomplete or looking foolish, she would just not do it at all. And, uh, but yeah, building a show is not, uh, it's not like the old movie. Oh, there's dad's barn. Let's build a show. <laughs> I've got a curtain. Yeah. It's, uh, so the, it's, it's all inclusive when you, when you drive your car down the street, you're just thinking about getting from point A to point B and how much the gas cost. But who designed the tires? Who put the engine in it? Why does it look the way that it does? How come the seats are fitted in this way? Why is it all that stuff when you're building a car? It's the same thing as building a show. Every mm. little detail has to be taken care of. And then you have to make OSHA happy while you're at it. So good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how present they were back there. We think of like loading, because I came in on the space curtain, the disco curtain that came from above that we loaded in. Yeah, living and curtain. then yeah. saw that a few years later, it just went, oh my gosh, because at 20, like just step over this big gap. With, and there's places that there was no rails that I'm sure they later on would, would probably, but we didn't question it because I don't think there no. was things like that back then. Like, you want this job? It's fine. You're fine. You're young. Yeah, you, you'll bounce. Right. <laughs> Some of those feathers will make your landing a little softer. Yeah. So did, did you work with, was Don Arden overseeing this? Cause I know like, Oh yeah. I hear from, okay. Cause I've heard like the elevators wouldn't open. He would have to throw a fit and the dancers oh. are, how anyway. was that part? Cause there's already enough stress of trying to make this all fit. And you've got him who is a perfectionist and wants well, it a certain way. The stage crew, uh, after we discovered that it was difficult to work with him, uh, there was a really nice Mexican restaurant uh, within about a half a mile and you could get a pitcher of margaritas. So we would start delivering pitchers of margaritas to Don's table. And, oh, I thought this was for you guys. Okay. <laughs> after he had uh, consumed enough margarita, things would slow down a little bit and uh, then we could get some work done. I think maybe it's margaritas because there's uh, whatever else was his scotch would make him meaner. So maybe people should have been like the margaritas maybe took him. Margaritas, the other uh, he just sort of mellowed out. and uh, Really? Yeah. You guys are smart. Oh, uh, well, it was either that or never get the job done. Yeah. But uh, we were. You got someone that. wanting perfection and, and asking for yeah. things that aren't probably feasible. Well, one of my uh, more interesting memories of Don Arden, uh, like I didn't realize that I was not going to be dancing anymore when I went down there. So anytime I had a break as a stagehand, I would learn the choreography. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, so I'm standing in the wings and we were doing uh, the grand staircase, the male variation, uh, which was uh, the three girls, the three guys. It was, it was a, a nice pot of seas. Yeah. And uh, I'm watching this and I hear Don Arden going off at the boys, just going off. And he'd seen me backstage and he says, stage hand, stage hand, come out here. And so I came out, he says, do the choreography. So I dropped oh. my pool belt and I took off my combat boots and I did the combination. And he just looked at the guys and if the stagehands can do this kind of choreography, why the hell can't you? And just threw another fit. I don't think the boy dancers talked to me for at least six oh months. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh my gosh. So you did, were you sad you weren't dancing anymore? Or was it like, this is another new adventure? Mm, it didn't around me. I wasn't didn't... anymore. You know, okay. it was just another, uh, I was going to be a stage hand until the next dancing job came up. I knew I was too short to dance for, uh, in Las Vegas. Yeah. But Barry Ashton was still around and there was always Lenny Miller, George, George Reich. Uh, you know, there's always little companies. Yeah, there's more. But uh, I, you, once, you, uh, well, once, oh. I, once I married Leslie, it wasn't a matter of I was going anywhere and we couldn't work the same shows. She was 5'10", I was 5'10". So uh, I guess I, I retired unintentionally, at least from the performing end. For performing? Yeah. So you were supervisor of stage right, right? Yep. Okay. Cause that's, it's so funny. Cause when I think of that, it's like, it's two different shows, two different worlds. So I was on stage left for some things like, Oh, stage right. I remember that was like, I, I was a tall nude, mostly, well, I think it was maybe half that, but it feels so different to even think of the stage crew feels different. Like you've gone from Washington to New York, like just to go across <laughs> the other side of the stage. Like, Oh, it's different over here. <coughs> Cause I think I didn't realize I, now I remember that you were married to Leslie because I was, you stood out one of my memories I was telling you before we recorded how things are kind of fuzzy and then there's things that stand out as gems and it was a barbecue in January I don't know if there was a reason for it in the snow in Tahoe and we had a fire pit and did hot dogs and s'mores and somebody's dog I think if you maybe I remember it was a white German shepherd someone had this is how much I remember detail I don't remember anything else of most of my <laughs> life in Reno but it just like these people are so fun like people made ways to make that community, because they know you, you stayed there for a while, but like people made Reno their home different than people worked in Paris or Puerto Rico, even. Yep. You find true. ways to, to make it fun for people in the show. And like, and I, this is before we recorded even how Reno was unique as far as like, this is all you have. Yep. So you better make it work. <laughs> <laughs> and the people were all fascinating, interesting, but you know, like some other places you might have friends from outside, like Puerto Rico, I had friends in all three shows. To kind of spread you out a little bit more. Yeah. But uh, Reno, you guys were each other's family, friends. And still are to this day. And still, I love uh, that. I hate Every... to say it, but uh, I have to rehearsal with the Las Vegas Men's Choir and I need to be there in 25 minutes. So uh, uh, we, we will end with that because you're still performing. You're still, uh, oh yeah. you're still doing it. May 1st at Ham Hall. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Your story is like, I never know what I'm in for because I can't find much on Facebook except for like single, likes women, <laughs> through, went, lived in Maine and Reno. So I'm like, okay, I got enough there to go with. So, <laughs> <laughs> but well, this was such a fun surprise. Like all this thing of that you were a performer and your travels and that you were on Broadway. Your story is so, I don't know that people know how great their stories are until they, people go, what? You're just I, definitely. I don't remember half of it. When yeah. people, uh, uh, a conversation will come up and I'll say, oh yeah, been there, done that. But I don't think of it unless somebody brings it up because it isn't a part of my day-to-day -day environment. But yeah, I've, uh, I've built shows and designed shows and directed shows and choreographed and sung and danced and, and I'm 72 years old and I ain't dead yet. And you're still going strong. Move to Seattle. I have a show coming up and it's like, I need someone helping with sound and also be a dancer and also help me with the glyphs for the guys. Okay. But yeah, just come up for a couple of weekends and we'll put you to work. <laughs> we need somebody who understands the perspective of the artist and the technician. Uh, and yeah. you're, you're unique that way. That's really wonderful. Well, 
I have to run. I'm okay. I, we're going to turn this off. Thank you, Frank. This was a delight. And go sing your heart out. And just, I'm so glad that you uh, still still following all that. So we will say <laughs> goodbye all from right. Las Vegas. Bye, Frank. Hey, Eve. Listen closely. Let me fill you in. About the rich, ripe, round, red, rosy apples they call forbidden fruit. What I'm about to say is confidential, so promise you'll be mute. Because if every creature in the garden knows, they'll come round like hungry buffalo. And in no time, there'll be none of those precious apples left for you and me. Now in the average apple, you're accustomed to skin, seeds, flesh, and corn. But you will find that these are special apples that give you something more. Why every seed contains some information you need to speed your education. The seeds, indeed, of all creation are here. Why be foolish? My dear, come with me to that tree. With every sweet and juicy, luscious bite of this not forbidden fruit, you'll see your mind expand and your perceptions grow more and more acute. Teach him plumbing and philosophy, new techniques for glazing pottery, woodcraft, first aid, home economy. Madam, Adam will be overjoyed. When he becomes aware of your attainments, he'll beam with loving pride. And he will say, oh, Eve, you're indispensable. Please don't leave my side. And with your nifty newfound education, he'll relish every conversation. Why, you'll be Adam's inspiration this way. Just an apple a day. Wait and see.